0: Let's just pray again um, uh, before we chat. Thank you, Father, that our chains are gone. We pray that this morning as we explore this topic together, we might uh, understand something more of what it means to live in a way which is honoring to you (coughs) and builds character uh, that uh, emulates the Lord Jesus himself. So be with us, we pray. Thank you for Phyllis and her experience and pray that as we chat together, it might be honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome again, uh, Phyllis. Um, As uh, you know, and as these folk know, we've been exploring over these last number of weeks um, the idea of character under construction, uh, what it means to have godly Christian character. One of the topics that we thought it was important to look at is the idea of controlling our thoughts um, uh, I was away at the time, but I know you were with us uh, on a Sunday evening, and folk found it really helpful, um, and we thought it would be very useful to explore this subject with you from your experience. So when I talk about your experience, for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about who Phyllis Coulter is, um, your faith background and your professional background, so that folk um, can set what we're talking about um, in, a, in a better context.
1: So good morning. So lovely to be here. I'm loving your service. I love every element of it. I'll probably land on some of those elements as I as I chat here. So who am I? First of all, I'm covered in dog hair. <laughs> I've just noticed. Uh, if your eyesight's as bad as mine, you'll overlook that. Um, so I am a child of God for whom the idea that I am eternally secure, changes everything about life as I live it. And I am so keen to communicate hope and uh, an ability, a a desire then to thrive as a Christian in a world that really doesn't want to have time for us. So um, I'm married to Calvin. We've been married 35 years Inside my head, I'm 25. So am I. Right? Uh, But my kids are in their 30s now, so that doesn't really work anymore. Um, I have two very big, brilliant children um, who last year then had children of their own. (laughs) So I am the gram that will talk to you endlessly about my new grandchildren, if you want me to. Um, And so... Life, for me, is about relationship. And in my day job, I encourage people to think about their relationships. So it then means that I practice what I preach, and I believe that a lot of our energy should go into the relationship that God, relationships around us that God has given us. So I do have that as my priority in life, even after all these years. Um, my day job is... Um, My day job is a privilege, so um, I'm a psychotherapist, which usually clears the room. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so I get the privilege of sitting with people at their most vulnerable, and I absolutely love that, and I love what is done in private, and I love keeping people's privacy so that they can explore and work out some of the things that are bombarding them, and that I, if I can help them find some solutions to that, that is a privilege too. So, people who come to me, I work with children, young people, adults, and couples, so sort of the whole gamut of life. Not everyone who comes to me is Christian, and I meet the person who's coming to me just where they are, but I always seek to be the faithful child of God wherever he has placed me in that.
0: Great, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, At our midweek, uh, meeting, we had um, a guy called Jay Bay, who's uh, involved with um, Siemens Christian Friend Society. And Jay Bay had, um, uh, he, he spoke a little bit on the parable of the sower, and the verse was up on Thursday night. And I was really struck by uh, the bit that says, in the context of spiritual growth, that one of the things, one of the thorns that chokes <coughs> spiritual growth is the cares of life, mm-hmm. And uh, because I was thinking about um, this morning and because we had talked together, that idea of the cares of life choking our spiritual growth seemed like a, a good starting point. Um, so how do you feel that our thoughts, our thought life impacts our spiritual growth?
1: That's a great question. So, so what I like to do um, in in sharing what I hope is good information with you, is to draw on um, secular research and psychological research. And some of the research then that talks about thoughts of the typical adult human brain says, we are capable of up to 60,000 thoughts per day. Right? So, in other words, your brain is constantly giving you information constantly giving you um, situations that need to be interpreted. So my idea of thought life is then that they're incredibly invasive and can be incredibly incredibly powerful. But think about it. If you're having up to 60,000 thoughts a day, the law of averages says you can't really dwell on 60,000 thoughts a day. So my Encouragement to you is just because something pops into your mind as a thought, does not mean that you have to make anything of it. There's sixty thousand things running through your head. Feel free to drop about ninety-eight percent of those. And I believe we have choices to make about what we think about. It mightn't feel like it sometimes. It mightn't look like it, but I truly believe we choose our thoughts. Our thoughts are important. Here's another thing that they tell us in psychology. Your thoughts become your actions. That's where I think our thoughts are really impactful on our minds and on our ideas of character building. Your thoughts become actions. If you extrapolate that even further, your actions become belief. Who am I? what am I doing? What am I likely to do? and beliefs then become part of your identity? so managing your thoughts at the very beginning of that process is hugely important and it can be done
0: okay well, there 's there's several things there that uh, we we'll want to pick up on so um, you 've talked about that thought life and, and you you helpfully linked it to what our, our topic is about in terms of character under construction so Can you unpack a bit more of how thought life leads to character or impacts character?
1: Yeah. So anything that you say in your mind often enough takes on a bit of a life of its own. So I get the privilege of talking to people um, as adults, and they are very much giving me uh, evidence that things that were said to them and about them as children have actually become things that they now say about themselves. So the idea that you're stupid, you're ugly, you'll never be, that's the stuff that there's evidence there that the more you think on something the more you start to look for evidence of it. And that's where thoughts become really uh, malleable. And um, so what's that word then? Progressive. They don't just stay as thoughts, randomly popping into your mind. They actually provide you a focus of what you go searching for. And what you go searching for, frankly, you will find... Because even if the evidence isn't clear you can morph and twist the evidence to suit what you're looking for. That's how powerful our thoughts are. So are you stupid? Are you likely to feel? Because if that's something that runs through your mind regularly, you will look for evidence of it.
0: Um, where did I go with that? Um, <laughs> this idea of um, finding evidence for stuff that's not true, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. um, I suppose to turn, the, turn it to a very simple word, uh, is a lie. And we know that the, the devil is the father of lies. Um, so how do we, in that yeah. thought pattern, how do yeah. we discern truth from lies? Mm-hmm.
1: Another great question. So when you're looking for the truth, I believe we are created with that um, instinct or intuition. So I point to the bottom of your tummy because I think that's where intuition lives. So if you're thinking something, if you're repeating something, if you're looking for evidence of something, it's worth pausing and connecting So, yeah, so connect with the bottom of your tummy. What is your instinct about that? Bottom of your tummy, and then go up to the top of your head. What is your thinking brain able to collate for you in terms of your life experience and your memories? What are those components of your um, character and life able to help you with in terms of discernment? I am saying I believe that every single person in this room knows the truth. It's maybe deep in your tummy, but when you connect it with your thinking brain, it will change these automatic thoughts, these wayward thoughts, these lies.
0: Where does the role of of Scripture and Mm -hmm. Christian teaching fit with, um, with that whole thinking process?
1: right in the middle. I believe the scripture from beginning to end is full of fantastic narratives of human beings just like us, an amazing psychological truth. In my world, Every so often, there's a big hoo-ha made that there's new research coming out, and there's this big title, and it's all going to change the way we see human beings. And honestly, time and time again, I say at home, yeah, but Paul said that in Corinthians. Scripture is full of good psychology. It's full of good frameworks, scaffolds, on which and in which to build good, strong outlooks on life and that strategy for knowing what the truth is. So, Scripture is central. So, remember what I said. You're capable of 60,000 thoughts a day. The more you think on a particular thing, the more weight it gathers, the more momentum it has. And when that's negative, it's really tricky. Scripture is an amazing thing as a foundation to build your life on, to build your thought life on. Sa- there, was old, um, there was an old theology professor of mine used to say, um, saturate yourself until you are satiated with the word of God. And I think we ignore that at our peril.
0: You've talked about secular uh, research. Mm. You've talked about a theology professor. Um, is there a danger that we go to one or other of those extremes that we, we simply look for, um, you know, in a sense, what, you know, the, what, we're, what we are taught uh, is, you know, for example, the, 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 the appropriate psychological teaching? Um, or on the other hand, that we throw scripture verses at one another and say, don't fear. Um, you know, it's unbiblical to be, you know, anxious um, from your experience as you seek to bring your practice and your faith together. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you give us a bit of guidance as to how we pick our way through that minefield?
1: Yeah. Good for you. Tricky questions.
0: So I don't have to answer them. I only Uh, have to ask them.
1: Neither extreme is ultimately helpful. Now, now, don't throw me out before I finish my sentence. Uh, <laughs> scripture is our foundation. Scripture is an amazing resource. But just as you said, Ian, there's that idea of firing verses out of context at people whose context we don't know enough about. That good old Romans eight twenty eight. I just think there are so few contexts that are immediately ready for that. Scripture is an amazing resource, but it can be used unwisely by well-meaning people. So be mindful of just how much or little you know of someone's context. Before a verse that is really meaningful to you is used as a conversation starter or a conversation ender, right? So the extreme of that is not helpful. The extreme of psychological thinking, which actually says we're intrinsically good and we're intrinsically able to thrive in all of our circumstances and the good and the hope and the strategies are within us, I don't believe that's helpful either as a Christian, So I am always looking for the Venn diagram, for the overlap in the middle where both of these things can be helpful. So in um, Genesis, there's that lovely phrase um, when the Israelites are moving out um, from slavery that they plunder the Egyptians. And that is something that I believe we can do with secular psychology helpful bits from it, take it with us and apply it to our life as Christians based on our knowledge of what the Scriptures are um, directing us toward. Psychology is helpful and it can be applied to a biblical model of living. Mm,
0: Thank you. Um, I'm going to wave little sheets. Um, Phyllis and I had a, a really helpful conversation, uh, uh, and I just scribbled and scribbled and scribbled um, all sorts of phrases which um, form the basis for some of these questions. Uh, there, w- there was a phrase you used um, that I'd I, I love you to unpack about brain under stress. So, whenever you're chatting to me, you talked about the idea, again, in this context of controlling our thought lives, that Our brains can be under stress and that that has got certain implications. Um, Can you explain how brain under stress leads to unhelpful habits and behaviors?
1: Yeah. So those pages are my doom, right? I was just talking. Now I have to back them up. Uh, No, I love that. So um, again, with um, neuroscience, we can see that A human being, under stressful circumstances, shows evidence of changes in their brain infrastructure. So, bluntly put, if you're under stress, what they've discovered is the part of your brain, the top of your brain, goes dark, closes down. From other areas of psychology, we know that this is the part of your brain that does your good thinking recalls memories, uses life experience. That's where your good vocabulary is. That's where your idea of problem solving and risk assessment is. So think about it. Under stress, that part of your brain goes dark, comes offline, isn't there to help you. So the part of your brain that's left to you under stress is the bottom part of your brain. So that's what neuroscience has discovered This part is dark. This part is very active. This part of your brain is where your emotions lie. It's where the youngest part of you exists. It's where the most extreme thinker in you exists. Do you know how when you're walking around Sainsbury and there's a poor five-year-old who wants a Jaffa cake? right? Aisle one wants a Jaffa cake. Aisle six, oh, my night's they're hysterical because they still haven't got a Jaffa cake. Aisle seven, they're on the ground. Aisle eight, mom's getting them a Jaffa cake. (laughs) So the, the youngest part of our brain is our extreme thinker. It's what we grew up with. We're so wonderfully made that as we reach adolescence, puberty, early adulthood, lots of the rest of our brain switch on and begin to help us under stress all of that good adult function closes down again and we're left with that young brain panicking extreme thinking how do I survive this usually when we talk about survival we picture the worst case scenario so that we can survive that and that's where, that's where the brain under stress gets really unhelpful because you're only thinking with the extremes, with the young brain. So I'm saying, I'm describing your nightmares now, but actually the hope is, when you pause, a lovely wee strategy then is to use your senses for that, so you need to pause. So touch something differently. Move your feet in your shoes. Um, another lovely wee strategy is, put the tip of your tongue behind your front teeth. How oh, it's really hard to talk. You don't need to talk, you need to think. But tip of your tongue behind your teeth, close your lips, and pause. And what you're saying to yourself is, in thoughts, I need the thinking part of my brain right now. Because if I've only got this young part, I'm likely to make decisions that when my thinking brain comes back, I will regret quickly. The brain under stress is totally understandable but you don't have to just accept and live with it. You need to get back up to your thinking brain.
0: Last week, um, as we explored this week, we thought a little bit about the fruits of the spirit, mm-hmm. and obviously including that is the spiritual gift of self-control. Yeah. Um, so as we, as we seek to manage through the, the, the life of the spirit throwing through, um, in a sense, how do you, how do you blend that pause, think, yeah. sort of re, you know, re-centre, re-establish with yeah. the life of the spirit?
1: The brain under stress is likely to be dealing with lies of some sort, um, extreme manifestations of something. So in the pause, it's good to recalibrate. Hmm. And it's good then to connect with a phrase or an image, or an idea that brings you back to the amazing truth of what is available to you as a resource if you are a child of God. So, in the pause, and me wanting you to connect again with your thinking brain, the fantastic part in the middle of that that will lead you up to your thinking brain can be totally Christ-centered so I'm talking about a phrase or an image, our brain under stress works amazingly well with short, pithy, Mm -hmm. either sentences or images. So if I said to you, for example, think of the metaphors about God in the Bible and which one of those metaphors actually resonates with you, shepherd, fortress, rock, refuge. There are others, right? If you connect with that image, it then directs you properly to the truth again. Or a short sentence like, so your music is amazing here. So these first three pieces that we sang, I think you could spend a fortnight on each one in terms of short sentences that actually can and should stop us in our tracks. Um, Ben's prayer had that lovely sentence in it um, about the um, righteousness that is not our own, the alien righteousness. So when I heard that, I think of the, the substitutionary atonement, the... Um, the adoption that my salvation provides for me and this alien righteousness, the propitiation of God's wrath through Christ's sacrifice. These are such big things. I love them. That's what we need in the middle. Big thoughts, small sentences to stop and recalibrate. And the truth of Scripture can be right in the middle of that.
0: As we talked during the week, um, you talked about damaging thought patterns and you talked about damaging behavioural patterns. Um, I suppose uh, as I sort of thought about that, I was sort of thinking chicken and egg, you know, what comes first or does it not? Mm -hmm. You know, um, behavioural patterns, Mm -hmm. thought patterns. Can you maybe explain a little bit about from your experience? Um, how that all, all, all sits together.
1: That's good. So I really think thoughts always come first. We can mull about with something in our heads, but what they say is, they, the nameless ones, what they say is, your thoughts will drive your actions. And that's when a loop is set up because the more actions you have evidence of, the more your thoughts will lead you back to the corroboration of who you are and what you're doing. So thoughts are first but they do lead to actions. Remember what I said, so thoughts, actions, beliefs. Mm. Because the more you do something, the more you just accept that it's who you are or a very big part of who you are. And then you lose hope of who you can be. You just start accepting who you think you are. There's the lie starting to take shape (coughs) in the middle of that. None of us are perfect. These 60,000 thoughts that we can have in a day do not have to come to define and represent who you are, but they will if you don't capture them. So thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to beliefs. This is who I am. Once you've decided on who you are, it's really easy to gather evidence for that from other areas of your life. And that's when the devil comes in and actually has a field day with you.
0: Um. I, I wish we had a lot more time to explore it, but um, and it's a complex question. We're bound to experience disappointment, mm-hmm. failure, grief. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked mm-hmm. about the idea of not being defined, so I suppose, um, how do we navigate these things that are going to happen to us mm-hmm. without becoming defined by them?
1: Yeah, that's good. I mean, as a human being, that's tricky. I'm not here to give you trite answers. Mm. I think the the antidote to the curveballs that life gives us, to the suffering that is likely to come our way in some form or another, the antidote has to be getting a big enough picture of what God is doing in our life. When something painful, something shocking, something unexpected arrives, we tend to focus too um, intensely on that particular part of our picture. Uh, You know the metaphor, um, I say this gently, a black dot white board. I say that gently. Your black dot can be really black and really tricky, painful. My encouragement to you is make sure you throw your brain into good work for expanding the picture of your life. What is happening in your life around this event, around this situation? because if you only look at the the unexpected the painful in all of the unhelpful ways it can come to define you i don't believe that is what god has for us so i believe god is a sovereign god i believe he is in control of what happens to us i believe he has our plan would it be the plan I would write for myself? Probably not in a hundred years. So again, I'm not saying this lightly. But if we deal only with our thoughts around these painful parts, we close down our thinking brain, we close down our intuition about the rest of what God is doing in our lives, what God has previously done, what God has promised us, who God is, we need to keep in mind this big picture in the middle of these difficult circumstances.
0: Um, conscious of time, but again, you talked um, uh, when we were chatting on the phone about where this blends into identity, and you've touched on that a little bit earlier on. Um, there was a there was a phrase that you used again in my scribbling: um, "What we swallow, we become." Um, um, identity and um, yep. uh, and where that, that fits. Can you unpack yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, just as we draw towards a close.
1: Very good. So what I mean by that sentence is the things that happen around us, we can, in a soporific way, just take in. We swallow. We don't question them. We don't look at them logically or universally, we just take them in. This has happened to me, or this has happened to someone I know, or this hasn't happened to me, or this person said that about me, or I'm being made to feel this, and we swallow that. So in psychology, then, there is that idea that once you've swallowed something that is external, it becomes part of how you operate becomes part of who you are. And that's really unhelpful. So because we've taken something in, the idea is to um, pause again and think about where was the source of that? (laughs) Who was it? What was it? And is it helpful that I have just taken it in wholesale? Unfortunately, there are Agendas, cruel agendas of others that will delight in having us swallow things because it actually helps them in their agenda, controlling us or minimizing us or keeping us fearful about something. Reject that. Get that back out. God has a plan for you, it will be long in the making but God is eminent, active, sovereign, and he is the one that we need to take in constantly and fill ourselves with. Because again, the difference that it makes when you saturate and satiate yourself in Scripture is you're taking it in. And that changes what goes in, and it changes what comes out. In the communion address, We heard that lovely progression, um, you know, from slave. We were slaves, but we can still live as though we are slaves, and the devil just loves that. We have been adopted, taken in by this sovereign creator, and we are now seen as that heir, So that's a fantastic progression to take in, to think on, because that will mean manifestation and outward working in a whole different direction.
0: Thanks, Phyllis. Conscious of time, um, I'm going to make a statement here. I'll ask you to comment, but uh, speaking, I suppose, as a church leader here, um, we are not saying... Uh, We we, we want to address these issues. The the reason we're exploring it uh, is because this is an important uh, thing as, as part of our series. But as a church, we are not qualified to help people, but we are in a position to pray. So if you're going through times of difficulty, then we want to know about that privately or go to someone that you trust so that we can pray for you. But there's a danger, isn't there, as well, that we either are in self-help mode, um, or you know, we'll pray for you; it'll be all right. Um, and this isn't a pitch for you, but um, there is a place for going and seeking professional help. I assume, otherwise, you wouldn't be <laughs> earning a living. Mm-hmm. Um, can you maybe just comment on that, um, just as as we, we draw to a close? Yeah. That, in a sense, that blend of spiritual healing that we can seek prayer for, but the wisdom of seeking proper advice.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the lines in one of your uh, songs was about demonstrating love to one another. And so I think as church, it is an amazing opportunity to build connections, networks, good people that we can do parts of life with. And prayer is an amazing resource and it's amazing at nudging of God to pray for others. But it's a lovely way to demonstrate your faith and courage in the faith that you have that you can come and ask for prayer. Go to your good people and build each other up in this lovely faith that we have. As human beings, we are subject to life as it fires at us, and we are uh, impacted by that. And what can happen to us psychologically is we get I'm doing this um, squeezed. We get um, pushed down. Our resources become a little bit exhausted, emotionally, physically. And there comes a point when your system, although wonderfully made, has then reached a point that it's really tricky to get it started again in all of its good ways of going. So one of the things in psychology we talk about then is the um, brilliant rule that serotonin, the chemical that we naturally produce (coughs) that helps our brain and our bodies function really well. When serotonin is limited or really depleted, It's really, really tricky to see positivity in life. So that's when I believe we need um, a different environment to explore some of those things in a neutral space where we can, again, recalibrate um, our physical as well as our emotional being. Not everyone needs therapy. Absolutely not. And therapy for me is best when it's in a safe place for a limited time to get us up and going. And it's about coming to someone who's not afraid to sit in the darkness with you if that's where you are, but to have the hope that there is light.
0: What a lovely place to finish. Um, Thank you so much. Would you join me in thanking Phyllis uh, for, for joining us? Thank you. Let me pray um, before we finish. Uh, one uh, announcement, uh, if I can, that uh, I, I missed uh, earlier on. Um, this Wednesday, the, the sixth um, Women Who Rise is on, Sophie, is going to be talking about living like Jesus, living an unhurried life. So um, please do remember Women Who Rise on Wednesday evening. And if you're able to bring some food, uh, let them know on on the helper sheet. So that's Women Who Rise this Wednesday evening. Thank you again, Phyllis. Let me pray uh, just as the band comes and, and closes. If there's something you would like prayer for, please do come and speak to some of us afterwards. We will be delighted to take time to pray with you um, or to be committing to pray with you uh, uh, in the days that are ahead. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come together and to explore these difficult but important issues. We thank you that you provide um, uh, wisdom for us in, uh, in in medical and and psychological help in all sorts of ways but we thank you for the help that you provide for us in your word and by your spirit may we uh, navigate these um, these these ways of, of building character in a way which